It's Tuesday, July 31st, and this is The Daily Dive. Today is all about fast food. The first is how we all got scammed, and the second is about that fast food magic number. Do you remember playing the McDonald's Monopoly game? You'd buy a meal, and paper Monopoly game pieces either helped you get park place and boardwalk, sometimes they were just instant wins for a free order of fries. Journalist Jeff Mache joins us to tell us the story of how an ex-cop rigged the McDonald's Monopoly game and stole millions. The story includes mobsters, strip club owners, drug traffickers, one tenacious FBI agent, and the anonymous tip that brought the whole scheme down. Next, how much are you willing to spend on fast food? There is a magic number that works for both the consumer and fast food companies. You may have seen all the latest deals popping up. They're all $5. Zlati Meyer, money reporter for USA Today, joins us to talk about the sweet spot that keeps you coming back for more. It's all about getting a great value, but there's also a psychological component to it. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. People everywhere are winning big, playing the Monopoly game at McDonald's. Barbara Gray won a Sea-Doo jet boat. Jerry Colombo won a Dodge Viper. And there are two $1 million prizes left. With millions of prizes left, you could be next. So take a break and get a break at McDonald's. Joining us now is Jeff Mache, journalist and author who writes about unusual crimes and criminals. He was featured in the Daily Beast for this story. And it is a wild story. I love it. It's so good. It's one of those things that we, many Americans have participated in. It's the McDonald's Monopoly game. I remember getting my meal, peeling the stickers off of the soda, peeling it off of the fries, peeling it off the burger. They were putting it everywhere at one point. But this is the story of the wild scheme to rig the McDonald's Monopoly game. Jeff, start us off on this story. It's a little known fact, but the McDonald's Monopoly game was corrupted by the mob. It was an inside job that started back in 1987, and it happened during the production of those game pieces that you and I tried to collect during the 90s. An ex-cop that was running the production of those started stealing the winning prizes. It's a huge scheme that ended up happening, and it involved mobsters and people all across the country. They really built a network of people that they were giving game pieces to, and then you can cash it out. People were even driving to a different state so you can cash out your game piece so as not to uh, get the pool of winners so close together. More than 50 people were convicted of this crime, and they were professionals. These were organized criminals who set up a network. They gave people fake identities. They had people moving states to set up fake lives in the next state over to collect their winning ticket. And these were big prizes, million-dollar tickets, $500,000 tickets. You could win a Dodge Viper for almost... 13 years, almost every major prize was stolen by this criminal gang. And the man behind it all is Jerome Jacobson. He's also known as Uncle Jerry. And he, obviously, he kind of made the most sense. He was the guy who was physically handling the winning game pieces and supposedly distributing them out to the McDonald's packaging places where, you know, he'd place the winning ticket on that hash brown package or that fry container. And it was him all along because he was working security for this, he developed a reputation for looking in people's shoes and making sure they weren't stealing the game pieces. But he was the guy all along. Everyone was completely shocked when it was revealed that 
Uncle Jerry was behind this crime because he just had this great reputation. A former cop in Hollywood, Florida, he was a stickler for security and and anti-theft. He invented all of the processes for McDonald's to make sure that none of these game pieces could be stolen. So really, he was in a prime position. And I think the temptation to steal was just too much for him. He was was playing God. He was making millionaires. Yeah, he was a kingmaker Uh, handing out a million dollars at a time to these people. Who wouldn't be tempted? He's traveling across the country. He's wearing a special vest that he invented to keep the game pieces safe. And he's going to these factories and it's down to him to put them on the on the French fry packets. And like most scams, it started off small. He gave his brother $25,000 here. He gave his butcher a free car. It started small. And then obviously greed takes over. And before you know it, he's getting involved with some very, very sketchy characters. So what was his process? How was he getting the game pieces and how was he distributing them out? And how was he getting paid in return for that? He was the head of security at the company that produced the game pieces. And it was his job to take them off the print production line and seed them at the factory. So he would fly with an independent auditor all around the country. They'd send him to a random factory and he would hide them in a soft drink cup or a French fry container. And it was his job to put it in at random. The only time Jacobson was not being watched by this auditor was when he went to the restroom. So he'd sneak into the toilet and he would rip open the envelope that contained these million dollar game pieces and he'd steal them. He'd swap them out for commons or blank game pieces. So no one really knew it was him for a long, long time. And it was a weird mix up, almost fate. He had gotten a package by mistake, which had those security tags on it where the envelope would be closed and they'd put a little security sticker on it. And that's how you knew it wasn't tampered with. He had gotten a pack of those And then that's when he realized, I'm going to go in the restroom, I'm going to open it, and I'm going to reseal it with an authentic security sticker, and then nobody's any the wiser. This was a complicated procedure. McDonald's, obviously a huge company, and they trusted the printer and and these independent auditors to come up with a system that was foolproof. But experts have told me that not one person should be trusted with the entire system. They should have swapped out Jacobson every couple of months and give the responsibility to somebody else so that... This doesn't happen. One of the things that happened is not that he was taken off of the project, but they changed some of the processes for a little bit. And then years down the road, they put him back in charge. So he was back in the game again on that. Yeah, they did change it briefly because they had other problems with theft at McDonald's because the other members of staff, you know, in the restaurants were were stealing the tickets, too. So it was a bit of a mess back then. So then how was he getting the payouts? I mean, he was setting people up to, quote unquote, win or find one of these magic game pieces and then how was he making money off the deal with those people well he charged them for, for the ticket he'd sell the say a million dollar game piece for fifty thousand dollars if you win a million dollars with mcdonald's a lot of people don't know this you can either get the money up front or you can have it sent to you in fifty thousand dollar installments for 20 years and you pay less tax so what uncle jerry would say was here's a million dollar ticket When you get your first installment of $50,000, send that to me and I'll keep it. And he did that dozens of dozens of times. So stealing up to $24 million in prizes. How does the mob figure into this? I mean, they were tied to the Colombo crime family. He even gave himself a mobster name, Geraldo <laughs> Constantino or something. And he was dressing in flashy suits. You know, this is after the process had been going on for a while. He was making a lot of money. How did the whole mob factor come into place? Well, the mob get involved in everything, don't they? Well, um, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they, it's not uh, a lucrative business unless they're involved. So, 
Well, anything like gambling, bookmaking, numbers games. So Uncle Jerry met by accident a gentleman called Gennaro Colombo in an airport in Atlanta. And they got talking. Colombo admitted that he was a member of the Colombo crime family, one of the five crime families in New York. He claimed he was part of the mafia and he started becoming a middleman for Jacobson. He was taking tickets and finding lucky winners. And he gave them to several people who went and claimed cars and million dollar prizes and boats. As we find out later in the story, getting involved with the organized criminals was actually part of Jacobson's downfall. It all came down to an FBI agent, Richard Dent, who really worked the case, uh, just really great detective work. And he's the one who found out uh, Columbo was involved and they were making money hand over fist on this process. The greed factor is high in an operation like this. Pieces started falling through the cracks. How did he crack this case? Frankly, there were just too many winners. The scheme got too big for its own good. And eventually someone picked up the telephone and they called the FBI field office and got through to Agent Dent, who's a brilliant white collar crime specialist. His job really is to break down bank fraud, mail fraud, public corruption, things like that. So the McDonald's case was kind of bizarre for Dent. I like to think of him at his desk surrounded by Big Mac wrappers. But the numbers, <laughs> right. I think, would have really appealed to him because he, he dealt with major crimes, major bank fraud. So he started tapping phones very early on. He tapped Jerry Jacobson's phone and immediately realized that this was a major, major fraud. Jacobson had also given his former partner, Columbo, the magic gray M&M. Uh, it was another promotion that his company that he was working security for was also in charge of. And he gave them that. They had it in their freezer for safekeeping so that when they could connect the dots and claim that prize, they were even going to do that. This was one of the wildest parts of the reporting of this story. So I had no idea about the M&M connection. And Robin Colombo, who is married to Gennaro Colombo, told me that she'd opened the fridge one night and found this mysterious great M&M and was about to eat it. She was very hungry. And her husband appeared behind her and said, don't eat that. That's worth a million dollars. <laughs> and it was part of, apparently, the Mars Corporation ran a competition in the 90s to find a grey imposter M&M. And if you did, you were a millionaire. And although Mars didn't respond to my inquiries and neither did McDonald's or anyone involved in the production of these pieces, I did discover that the same company made the Mars Corporation's, the M&M promotional material as did the McDonald's stuff. So oh we can only assume that the criminal conspiracy might have been a bit bigger <laughs> than what we knew about originally. Back to how the case was cracked. They were handing out to people that they knew at certain points. They were handing it out. It's like, my butcher knows a guy who can win it. And they'd travel out of state. And then a lot of times what McDonald's would do would get these winners and put them in front of a camera and say, hey, congratulations. How did you win? And everything like that. Because people want to know. People want to keep the excitement up. The FBI agent, Richard Dent, would track those people down and say, well, they don't actually live in North Carolina. They live in South Carolina. And that's miles away from this last winner who was trying to claim the winning ticket in another state as well. So that's how he was putting together all the pieces. The turning point for the FBI was when Agent Dent printed out a map of the Carolinas and he put a pin in each of the winners' addresses once he'd found where they really lived. And about five or six of them 
all lived around this small town <laughs> near Anderson, South Carolina. And the odds of five or six people all winning a million dollars, one in 500 million chance, are absolutely astronomical. He knew that to get a conviction, the FBI would have to do something really splashy. So they decided to set up a muck sting. I love that. The mixed thing. This was going on from 1989 at the beginning, at the early part of it, to 2001, 11 years. And this all came down because of an anonymous tip where they called a special agent Dent and told him about it. We still don't know who put that tip in, right? You must assume it might have been somebody who was wronged somewhere along the line in this process. I spoke to so many people who were convicted in this crime, and everyone has got an opinion on who the tipster was. My personal theory is one that I share with Robin Colombo, whose husband died during the case or just before the trial happened. And she believes that it was the Colombo crime family that called the FBI because of a family dispute. That's the theory that I think is the most reliable. In all of this millions of dollars in fraud, how much time did Jacobson get? How much did you say he was had handed out? It was in the 20-something million dollars, or $24 million? $24 million, yes. He yeah. pleaded guilty, so he got a much reduced sentence. He did about three years. He was one of the few people to go to jail. I think three other people got jail sentences, and they served just over a year. Everyone else, they got probation, and nearly 50 people are still paying back their restitution today at $50 a month. Oh, my God. It's an amazing story. We're going to link to it. Jeff Mache, journalist and author, covers unusual crimes and criminals, as this story definitely is. We found this in the Daily Beast. Thank you very much for telling us this story. It's a, it's a very fun one to, to read through and to listen to you tell. Thank you very much. now is Slati Meyer, money reporter for USA Today. We talk a lot about food on this podcast. It's one of my uh, favorite things to do. And uh, we're talking a little bit about this magic number, this magic price that a lot of fast food restaurants have right now. I remember growing up, McDonald's cheeseburgers were 29 cents and my mom would go like on a Friday and say, let me order 10 cheeseburgers and she'd bring them home and, you know, we'd all eat them up. But that's not the case anymore. There was the rise of the dollar menus and things like that. What's the magic number right now? We're finding that $5 appears to be the sweet spot. Numerous fast food chains have embraced it. We know, for example, KFC has its $5 fill-up. Subway brought back its iconic $5 footlong this winter. We've also seen that Little Caesars has a $5 lunch combo. Taco Bell has its $5 buck boxes. There's also Dairy Queen's $5 buck lunch and Carl's Jr. Hardy's $5 all-star meals, which they introduced back in September. $5 is a very good price point. I think it's very accessible to a lot of people. And that's what these companies and fast food restaurants are finding is that everybody is willing to fork over five bucks for, for some food. Correct. And the fact that $5 is a bill also resonates with consumers. One of the experts I spoke to indicated that if something were five fifty and you had to break a $10 bill, that would pain you more. Even though it's just 50 cents more, somehow breaking that larger bill would impact you mentally more than just handing over that $5 bill. Kind of like the way $2.99 doesn't sound like $3. So right. there is something magical about the number and the fact that it is a denomination. 
we have to be very honest. You know, once you figure in taxes and everything, you're really still spending over five dollars. But it is that psychological thing. You know, the base price of this is five bucks, and I'm willing to spend that. Correct. Now, even though five dollars is the premier amount. The dollar menus that you referenced from your childhood are around as well, and, and they're doing fairly well, too. McDonald's in December introduced its one, two, three dollar menu, so it's tiered. Burger King has a value menu. Wendy's value is almost in the $5 range. They call it the four for $4, and Dunkin' Donuts has what they call the go-to menu, which also is tiered two, three, and five dollar options. So we see really $5 is the ceiling. Now, of course, these fast food chains hope that you come in and then you add to the $5. Maybe you'll throw in a dessert or a salad or an extra drink, and then they'll jack you up to $7, $8. But $5 really appears to be that bullseye target for them. You know, it's a very funny thing, and I'll, I'll share this with the audience. That $5 number holds so true that even with the McDonald's $1, 2 and $3 menu, I'll go and I'll order up to that $5 price. So this is my order, just so everybody knows. I'll get a large Coke for a dollar, a McChicken for a dollar, and then I think it's the Bacon McDouble for two bucks. So that gives me right there at that $5 mark. And, you know, obviously your taxes and everything, but that's what I go get. So even with these smaller pricings, I still go to that $5 level. Sure. There really is some sort of mental sweet spot where we just cap out at $5. And how are the uh, companies responding to this? Obviously, this is a sweet spot for them, but they're making tons off of this, too. I think I read in your piece that the Taco Bell $5 boxes is one of their major sales drivers. That is correct. Taco Bell said that the $5 boxes generated $1 billion for the company in 2017. Wow. So these really, really resonate with consumers. You have to remember, Oscar, that these are brands, obviously some of them older than others, that built their reputation on inexpensive and satisfying food. Think of the 10-cent hamburger back in the 50s right. and 60s. That's really what made their name in the American restaurant landscape. Fast food restaurants make their money one of two ways, either with repeat business or that your ticket, which is to say what you spend in a single visit, goes up. So they like to play both sides of that. The younger buyers, they always think everybody's always looking for that deal. You know, you want to feel you got your value and it's still just the right thing. Once you get into that $10 range, you can start getting a little, little high. It's a little much for fast food, especially. But, uh, you know, they have those options, too, those premium burgers or upsizing your items and things like that. It's funny that five dollars is now the new ninety nine cents. You know, it's that uptick. But everybody seems to be very happy and comfortable with it. Yes. And certainly we see it among college students and millennials and just any age group that it, uh, people who are budget conscious. It really enables a person to fill up without spending a lot of money. Some of the people I spoke to indicated that they'll buy one of these five dollar deals and not eat it all in one sitting. They'll have some, let's say, for dinner and then save the rest for lunch the next day. So there is an opportunity to kind of double dip, even if you want to stretch it a bit. Right. Now, I'll usually eat it all in one sitting, but that's just me. Eh. Uh, Zlati, <laughs> Zlati Meyer, a money reporter for USA Today. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. We love the feedback, so don't forget to leave us a comment and give us a rating. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive.